0: Good evening everyone, it's good to be here. Uh, Tonight we'll be continuing our series in Galatians and specifically chapter 5 verses 1 to 12. And if you were here last week, Ian Lewis helpfully took us through verses 21 to 28 of chapter 4 and we saw the Apostle Paul rebuking those in Galatia who desired to live under the law, those who sought to earn salvation through works. We saw the contrast between the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic law and thus of grace to works. We're reminded that we can only be saved through faith in Christ's sacrifice for sin, rather than through any works or anything of our own merit. Ian concluded his message by saying we are to stand fast in the liberty that Christ has purchased for us. We're to stand fast in the liberty that Christ has purchased for us. And we're going to continue that thought into chapter 5 this evening. We're going to see that true believers, those who have accepted Christ's sacrifice for their sins, have been set free by the work of the cross, and that this salvation comes by faith in him alone. We will also see that believers are to uphold and teach the truth, understanding that the gospel we preach will naturally cause offense to human pride. So the three headers I want to look at this evening. Christ has set us free, that's verse 1. We are justified by faith, that's verse 2-6. to And we are to teach the truth, that's verse 7-12. to So let's take time to read the passage together. Galatians chapter 5. Verses one to twelve. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify against every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit. By faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and that the one who is troubling you will bear the full will bear the penalty. Whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. And these are very strong words from Paul that we read there, and a lot of important truths for us to go through this evening, and for us to understand as we come to my first point, which is Christ has set us free. Paul has spent the last few verses of chapter 4 contrasting those who live by faith and are in the spirit to those who are in the flesh and are compared to slaves. He goes on in verse 1 of chapter 5 to rejoice. He rejoices in the fact that we who are Christians are free. We are free from slavery because of Christ. And Christians are those who have acknowledged their sin, their disobedience against God, and they know that they deserve eternal death as punishment for their sin. Understanding this, they have accepted Christ's death on the cross as the price paid for their own sin. Christ was able to take God's punishment because he lived a perfect life without sin. Something which is impossible for anyone else to do. Paul points to the freedom that Christ's death gives to those who believe in verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. The idea is that by believing and trusting in Christ for salvation, we are no longer under bondage. We're no longer in slavery, we are free. For Jews who come to faith, this is clearly true as they leave behind the ceremonial laws and rituals and regulations that they used to follow. For the Gentile, the non-Jew, who comes to faith, they also could look to a time when they were enslaved under pagan, false, religious idols. Galatians 4.8, Paul explains the state of the believers in Galatia before they came to believe in Christ, where he writes, formerly, when you did not know God, You were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. This phrase, are not gods, refers to the demonic spirits who governed the Galatians' former religious practices. And while many of us today are unlikely to have ever been under slavery under pagans or followed any religious pagan um, activities in the past, we may be able to point to a time where we used to follow idols, put our trust, hope, and devotion in certain idols of our lives Paul himself, speaking of his time spent as a high-ranking religious Pharisee before coming to faith in Christ, uh, says in Philippians 3 that he gave up his high status and he says, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. on accepting Christ's death As the basis of his salvation, Paul now rejects his previous life of devotion to religion, saying, for freedom, Christ has set us free. And this serves as a reminder for us that if we seek any other means of salvation, of being saved, apart from Christ alone, that we will be brought back or brought under bondage and into slavery. The danger for us today comes from believing that we can earn or even add to our salvation in any way. But when we seek to add to salvation, we actually subtract from the perfect work of Christ on the cross. As we make His work insufficient, when we seek to add, we actually subtract from the perfect work of the cross. And we'll come back to this in my third point later. So we are free from needing to add anything. We are free from needing to add anything to Christ's finished work. So do you live in the goodness of this today? Praise God that we're able to f- that we are free from the burden of attempting to add or earn our salvation and free from trying to please God so that we might be saved do you live in the goodness of this freedom today Paul continues in verse 1 encouraging the Galatians to stand firm stand firm and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery he acknowledges that this is a temptation for the Galatians to enter their old practices of ceremonial religion and following um, potentially following idols or following certain works To either add or to earn salvation in some way. But he commands them to stand firm in this truth of their freedom. Stand firm and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And to do this, they must have a knowledge, they must have a real knowledge of the freedom that they have. Reminding themselves and thanking God for this frequently. They needed a real, true understanding of what Christ had won for them, the freedom that had been won, and so do we today. We must recognize a total reliance on Christ when it comes to righteousness. And this can only be realized when we begin to understand the character of God, when we begin to learn and understand the character of God, his holiness that we could never hope to live up to. We need to be humbled, recognizing our own depravity, and truly accept that we could never hope to earn our salvation. And this is a vital truth. There is no way for us to live up to God's holy standards. For our sin... Our disobedience against God results in us falling short. We have no choice but to stand firm, as Paul commands, and rest. We get to rest in the finished salvation work of Christ. And we'll see in my second point how you may enter this salvation if you have not already. But as we stand firm and rest in our secure salvation, it's important to understand that this does not mean that we can just go on and do whatever we want to do. Romans 6, verse 1-2, to we're told... What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we who died to sin still live in it? The guarantee of salvation that believers get to enjoy does not allow us to rationalize or excuse sin. Paul tells us that believers have died to sin. Believers have died to sin and he expands on this in verses 3 to 4 of Romans 6 saying, Do you not know that? That all of us who have been baptised into Christ were baptised into his death. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, we too might walk in newness of life. In newness of life. Those who are saved, believers, Christians walk in newness of life and are now indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God and the power of sin has been broken. So that we are no longer enslaved, no longer under bondage to sin. And Paul doesn't argue that Christians do not sin at all once they're saved. But he argues that the tyranny, domination, and rule of sin in their lives has been defeated for them. And this therefore results in a normal pattern of life for Christians of progressive growth progressive growth to becoming more like Christ. And this is known as sanctification progressive growth. To be more like Christ should be the model of a normal Christian life. It's not doing whatever we want because of our security, but seeking to become more like him. And through this sanctification we become more uh, mature in our faith, and we actually do conform closer to God's moral law. But we don't rely on these attributes for our salvation, but they are a result from our salvation. We grow in them from first standing firm in our freedom which Christ has set us free to through faith in him. And is this faith, this faith in Christ, that brings me to our second point, verses 2 to 6 of our passage, we are justified by faith. The Galatian Christians had left the slavery of pagan idols and were now set free in Christ. But they were now at risk of enslaving themselves by turning to the law of Moses, the Mosaic law. The impression which we gain from the passage is that some of the saints in Galatia were considering circumcision, but most, at least, had not yet committed themselves to doing so. And Paul is addressing circumcision as an imminent decision which they must um, prevent themselves from making. The Galatians were being taught that those who were Gentiles were required to be circumcised in order to be justified what do I mean by justification? What does it mean that the Gentiles are being taught that they must be circumcised in order to be justified? Justification means to be made righteous or to be counted as righteous by God. To be counted as right by God. It means being able to stand before God and not be condemned for our sin. And it results in eternal life with him. And circumcision may have seemed a trivial addition to the Galatians that they would require to be saved through circumcision. It was, after all, a sign given to Abraham, who himself was counted righteous by God, to show that his family were God's chosen people. Also, Paul and Christ, even Christ himself, who were Jews, and therefore circumcised on the eighth day after they were born, as the Mosaic law commanded, both Paul and Christ himself were circumcised. You can see how someone could wrongly persuade the Galatians that circumcision was the natural progression of God's plan. Paul states in verse 6 If you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated, he's obligated to keep the whole law. And Paul was not against circumcision in and of itself, but he clearly tells the Galatians that if they think they need to be circumcised to be saved, then they would then need to keep the whole, the entirety of the Mosaic law something that was and is impossible for us to do. By by believing they needed to keep a single part of the Mosaic law, they would be bound and judged by God according to the entirety of it, since they were seeking their righteousness through it. And it's important to note that the Mosaic law was a good thing that God gave to his people, and it had many different purposes, including revealing God's character to Israel and setting them apart as a nation. It revealed the sinfulness of man, while providing forgiveness through sacrifices for those who had faith in God. It showed God's will for his chosen people, for their physical and spiritual well-being, and provided a way of worship for them. It revealed to humanity that no one can keep the whole law of God, and it was therefore impossible to be made righteous through it. The Mosaic Law was a good thing. But Christ is the only man who has ever fully obeyed the Mosaic Law. Everyone else has failed. In this way, the law was always pointing or foreshadowing, it was always pointing toward Christ, the perfect man who would fill the entire fulfill the entirety of the law during his life on earth. Paul writes in Philippians 3:9 that he has gained Christ not by having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. This allows believers to have a righteousness of our own that comes through faith in Christ, through faith in Christ alone rather than from obeying the law. So we are justified, we're counted as righteous by God, by faith alone, not through works of the law, such as circumcision. But what do I mean by faith? What is faith? Hebrews chapter 11 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is trust in God, that he will do what he says he will do. And in the rest of Hebrews chapter 11, we see a great list of faithful men and two women, each of who displayed a saving faith in God. Each example of faith on the list demonstrates that person's trust, based on them knowing that God would fulfill his promises. And one of the examples is when Abraham is willing to offer up his son Isaac, understanding that God is able even to raise him from the dead, and it was through Isaac that God had promised Abraham he would have many descendants through And this list of faithful people in Hebrews includes those who came even before Moses, before the Mosaic law was given, and includes Gentiles as well as Jews. In chapter 11, verse 2, we read the words, For by it, that is, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, the people of old received their commendation. This shows that for all people, and for all time, being commended or saved by God has always been, through an act of faith, rather than through any works or obeying the law. For all time, being commended or saved by God has always been through an act of faith, rather than in any works or obeying the law. And we see very clearly in the Old Testament many examples of faithful men and women who lived complex and difficult lives, struggling with temptations and sin. And they therefore could not earn their salvation. Salvation has never been based on works. God has always provided a way through faith. Christ fully obeyed the law. So we do not have to for our salvation. We only have to accept his sacrifice on behalf of our sins. Relying on any merit or any works that we do is not consistent with the gospel of having Christ as our savior. Verse 4, Paul says, you are severed from Christ. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Quite severe words again. You're severed from Christ, you'd be justified by the law. You've fallen away. You've fallen away from grace. And it's very important to note that this is not saying that anyone can lose their salvation. We are unable to lose our salvation. We are unable to be taken from his hand. It is stating that people who once perhaps made a profession of faith, who are now trying to justify themselves by the law were indeed never truly saved in the first place. They have therefore fallen away from the grace that was offered. While Paul is specifically talking about the Jewish law here, we could say the same thing of anyone trying to earn their salvation through any type of work today. Anyone who believes that to be saved they are required to perform certain acts, attend certain events donate a certain amount to charity, or have the certain type of parents, a certain type of children, anyone who's relying in these things, in addition to belief in Christ, is not truly saved. Paul says they are severed, they're cut off from Christ, and have fallen away from the grace that was offered. But this grace continues to be available today. It's not too late to be saved. Romans 10.13 tells us everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Jesus tells us in John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Faith in Christ is the only way of salvation. And it's a free gift available to all who call on his name. And those who have faith, those who are believers, have the Holy Spirit. Paul writes in verse 5 of our passage, For through the Spirit... By faith, through the Spirit by faith. It's faith in which you get the Spirit. This and the Spirit of God works through men and women of faith from the moment they accept Christ as their Saviour, empowering them to better live lives which are acceptable in God's sight. Verse five continues, We eagerly we ourselves eagerly await. We ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. We cannot be fully righteous on this earth due to our sin. But there is an ongoing work in believers, as we've mentioned, empowered by the Spirit to make us more like Christ. This is our sanctification. And ultimately, we are waiting for the day when God will make us fully righteous, either when we die and go to heaven to be with Christ, or when Christ returns to earth. And we see this in 1 John chapter three. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. So when we sin and fail to live the holy lives that God desires for us, we can remind ourselves that his work is not finished with us yet. We are not yet at the final stage we need to be. He is yet to complete his planned work for us, of making us like Jesus Christ, his son. So we've seen in verse 2-6 to six of our passage tonight that true believers, true believers in Christ are justified, declared righteous in the sight of God by faith alone. And anyone who seeks to add or to subtract to Christ's finished work for salvation is severed. They're severed from Christ and therefore not truly saved. Believers in Christ through faith alone are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. are indwelt by the Spirit and will to continue to become more like Christ producing more good works as we spiritually mature. These good works are the result of faith and not the basis of which we are saved. This brings me to my third and final point of the evening, verses 7 to 12, which is that we need to teach and uphold the truths of the Bible. Which teach and uphold the truths of the Bible. Paul asks a question of the Galatians in verse 7, who hindered you from obeying the truth? Who hindered you from obeying the truth? You were running well. So at one point, the Galatians had been running well. But Paul is concerned that this is no longer the case. He has a paternal care and love for the Galatians, which mirrors God's love and care for his people, which we should share as well. A love for God's people and their spiritual development. And this warning reminds me of what Christ says in Mark 9, verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... It would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And when Christ speaks of little ones here, we've seen in recent uh, weeks, apparently these, he's referring to Christians. So there's a severe penalty awaiting those who lead Christians astray with false teaching. And it may not come in this lifetime, but we can ensure that there will be an eternal punishment, that they will not go unpunished eternally. And Paul alludes to this in verse 10 of our passage. The one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. We then see in verse 12 the severity with which Paul rebukes these false teachers, saying, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Very severe uh, language. And it's understandable why Paul speaks with such severity, and such intensity. Verse 9 states, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And this is an analogy that Jesus used himself when talking about leaven, which is symbolic of sin. Leaven is symbolic of sin. And when Jesus was speaking of the false teaching and religious practices of the Pharisees, he said that a small amount of leaven affects the entirety of the dough. In the same way that a small piece of false teaching affects the entirety of the gospel message. A small piece of false teaching affects the entirety of the gospel message. We are justified by faith alone, In Christ and his sacrifice for us. Any additions or subtractions to the gospel results in an entirely false gospel. To preach, teach or believe anything other than salvation by faith in Christ alone is false. And it's of vital importance that us as believers actively guard the truth of the gospel which has been faithfully passed down for close to 2,000 years. Paul continues with another question in verse 11. If I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been removed. Paul asks them to imagine a scenario where he was still promoting and recommending circumcision and therefore teaching that obeying the law would lead to salvation. He says that in this scenario, he would not be being persecuted. He says the offence of the cross is the truth that humans cannot themselves save themselves. The offense of the cross is that humans cannot save themselves and this is what makes it so offensive to them. Humans are by nature, we know, full of pride and arrogance. We're full of pride and arrogance. We can become defensive when told that we aren't good enough. This is exactly what the cross and the true gospel teaches. We are all sinners and have fallen short of God's Standards. We are not good enough. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned. For all of us have sinned. And we all fall short of the glory of God. And this truth can either lead us to seek forgiveness from God, or it can lead us to being offended and rejecting God's message. Paul points to the persecution he was under, which he was under, which shows that he was indeed preaching the true gospel. And Christ said that his message... The message of Christ would sow division. Luke twelve fifty one to 53 Christ says, Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now, in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. We may be tempted as believers to alter the gospel message to better suit a particular audience, to suit a certain political or a certain moral point of view. But this is false teaching. We shouldn't be surprised when people are offended by the gospel that we preach. The true gospel may divide families and relationships, but we are not to alter the gospel to avoid this. We are not to alter the gospel to avoid division. John 15, 18, 19 says, If the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, we are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world hates you. The world, those who do not believe in the true gospel, will hate the message we preach. Because of the offence of the cross. And we shouldn't go, it's important that we shouldn't go out of our way to cause offence. But we aren't to sugarcoat or alter the Bible message either. Open and honest conversation is always the best way to communicate the gospel to others, allowing God to work through his Holy Spirit to convict others of their need for sin and forgiveness. And when a certain truth seems to cause significant reaction, which it can today, significant reaction and offence, we should acknowledge that some things are not easy to hear, but that we find these truths in God's word, which is completely without fault fault, it's completely inerrant. We find these truths in God's word, and we believe them to be totally and perfectly true. So in verses seven to twelve, we've seen the danger of false teaching, how it can lead believers from running well, it can hinder them from running well, and that it carries a terrible penalty for the one who leads them astray. We've also seen the importance of preaching and teaching the true gospel, and we shouldn't be surprised when we face offence or when people are offended by it. In conclusion, true believers who have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ's sacrifice for their sins have been set free. We've been set free by the work of the cross and we have that freedom by faith in him alone. We are unable and should not seek to add to our salvation in any way through works or by any following of the Mosaic Law. We must humble ourselves Recognize our own unworthiness and sinfulness. And accept Christ's work as the only way of salvation. Remind ourselves of this frequently. Giving thanks to God and standing firm in this freedom. Stand firm in this freedom. And finally we must uphold and teach the truths of the Bible. Understanding that the gospel we preach will naturally cause offence to human pride. We must uphold and teach the gospel. Understanding that the truth that we teach will naturally cause offense to human pride. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time we've been able to explore your word this evening, and we do thank you for the truths contained in it. We thank you for the freedom that Christ has set us free in. We do pray that we would not seek to add to this salvation, that we would rest in his finished work at Calvary. And we thank you for the perfect life that he lived that we are unable to do, and we do thank you that he willingly went to that cross at Calvary. And he willingly died for, uh, for us on that tree. We do thank you for your word that is so available in this country. We pray that we would stand fast by it, that we would not seek to change it or alter it in any way, and that we would understand the division may come, not seeking to avoid this, but seeking to love others and preaching the true gospel to them, that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. So we do thank you for this time where we've been able to hear from your word. We just pray that as we depart, you give us traveling mercies. Help us to grow in our faith, in our sanctification as we seek to become more like Christ. Help us to read our Bibles. Help us to continue in prayer before you throughout the day. And help us to become more like our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not relying on these works for salvation, but earning them through standing firm in our freedom that we have in Him. So we do thank you for these things, and we ask them all in the Lord Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.